right, we are back for another episode of the Freewheeling Podcast. Once again, well, we have technical difficulties and we also have human difficulties. <laughs> Amy might sound a little bit off today. We're having problems with her microphone. And Amy and I both have colds, so yay. Yeah, going in the chorus with not just bad sound, but also a nice nasal voice here for everybody too. Lauren's doing great though. Lauren. I think I'm going to be leading the podcast today, guys. <laughs> Lauren's in charge. <laughs> the pregnant lady is taking over. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got a ton of ton to discuss. We've got the Tour de Swiss that happened and the Jerosa route reveal. We've got Anamique Van Vluten news and the US Olympic squad was finally announced, which is why this episode is coming out a little later in the week. We wanted to wait for that announcement before we recorded the episode. But before we get started, this episode is brought to you by Hammerhead and their new Karoo 2. The screen mapping and Strava Live segment experience represents a generational leap in cycling computer technology. Reviewers are hooked, naming the Karoo 2 Bicycling Magazine's editor's choice. Beyond having the best screen and navigation in the business, the team at Hammerhead is consistently iterating to evolve Karoo 2 with you. Ooh, I like that. It rhymes. With frequent updates to its next generation software, new features and enhancements keep Karoo 2 at the cutting edge of cycling technology. The technology that Chris Froome, Michael Woods, Dan Martin, Alex Dowsett, and the ISN team are using to guide their training and racing is now available on a cycling GPS computer that you can buy. Karoo 2 is on sale now. Head over to hammerhead.io to get yours today. Well, thank you so much to Hammerhead for sponsoring this episode. All right, so let's uh, let's get into it. Since it's so far behind us, let's discuss the Tour de Suisse first. We can keep it brief, keep it short. It was only two stages, but they were live. And the live coverage for the Tour de Suisse was awesome, and the racing was awesome. I mean, the first day and the second day were both super aggressive. The first day sprint, Shabby won against Lizzie Dagnan. The second day was a battle of seconds where Lizzie took an intermediate sprint, and with it, the overall lead. And then Marta Bastianelli won the second stage. So let's talk about the sprint with Shabby and Lizzie for a second, because that was a pretty interesting sprint, and... There was like the final, let's say 300, 400 meters. Shabby like kind of went to fake sprint and then, and then Lizzie was like next to her and talking to her and then Lizzie started sprinting and then Shabby got on her wheel and then sprinted around her, which was such an interesting move because I, you'd think like Lizzie being such a seasoned rider and Shabby being so new that Lizzie wouldn't have fallen for that like fake move get on the front thing and regardless of what lizzie was saying to shabby she still fell for it because she still let out shabby basically in the end so it was a really interesting sprint and and lizzie said after the race was over that she she was the one who really messed up that sprint and she was super disappointed um but amazing for shabby because she's been really really consistently strong throughout the whole spring and she finally got a chance to race for herself at the Tour de Suisse, which was awesome. And she won in, in the National Champs jersey, which is like, that's always really cool when someone can win the on their home soil against someone like Lizzie Dagnan 
in the national champs jersey. It, it was just really special. It's great to see some strong Swiss riders coming through again because it's been a while um, that we've had. Well, her and um, how do you pronounce her name? The other rider that got the Olympic oh, spot, Marlon Russo. Russo, yeah. So um, it was a really exciting race. I was sort of thinking back to Amstel Gold with the Elise, um, Elisa Longo-Borghini and Cassia Nuodoma set up where that finish was just like what happened there, scratching my head. Also, who has a conversation in the last 300 metres unless your teammates are trying to decide who takes the win? Um, it was really bizarre. Um, I don't know what happened there. I mean, we've seen Lizzie lead out and win a sprint, for example, the World Championships in 2015, where she led out that whole home straight to the finish line, pretty much. And, like, trackies can do that because of that experience of, um, you know, putting someone on the barrier and then looking over their shoulder. So I almost thought that she was like, oh, I'll give you the win and uh, I'll take the GC or something like that. But obviously that didn't happen. So a bit odd, but she ended up pulling it off the next day, but without a stage win. Yeah, I mean, I guess we need to remember that Steigman's still coming back from um, a, what seemed like a sustained period of illness throughout the spring. So maybe she wasn't as confident as she normally might be about her sprint or her form. I mean, obviously she's on good form to get there in the first place. But um, And yeah, the fact that she admitted that she made a mistake afterwards, I don't think that takes anything away from Shabby because in the end she did like force her into that mistake like it was a tactical a really good tactical move by her um and yeah well I guess we'll talk about stage two but she really threw the kitchen sink at defending it as well she did such a good job so yeah it was really nice to see her win after working so hard like even in Burgos when she was wearing the leader jersey she didn't really get to defend it um because she was still working for Cassia well it seems that that was the case anyway so yeah great to see her take a win yeah I think I don't know if I agree with you that Lizzie's on good form Lizzie I suppose the level of the race is got to be taken into account but I mean she was on form enough to to win it you're right I guess it's not the race yeah no for sure Lizzie's on good enough form to win the inaugural Tour de Suisse and she was super excited about the win she said after the race that the the men's race is so iconic and to have a women's race now finally was really important. And, and the race did such a good job of, uh, promoting the women's, the women's field and everything by the live coverage and, and the, um, everything they did for them. But I don't know if this indicates that Lizzie is on good form yet. I think if Lizzie was on good form, she would have won that sprint. And Lizzie, when she's still fine, you know, can win the overall at the Tour de Suisse. But I think for her to win the Olympics, which is her goal, or La Course coming up, she she's not quite on that level yet. If she can be out sprinted by Ali Shabi, who is not really a sprinter. She's kind of a punchy, climbery type, but not I mean, maybe we have to rethink that now since she beat Lizzie in a sprint, but I don't think either of them would contest an actual sprint right now. So that was kind of a really... And, like, usually Lizzie can contest an actual sprint and beat sprinters like Mariana Voss. So I don't know. I think it's 
it's still like a process for Lizzie, although this will be a great boost in confidence for her going into the next couple races because she's, like you said, Amy, she's been out for a really long time at this point, like over five weeks, six weeks, I think. She's been out of racing and just at home and she missed the Ardennes, which was which are always big races for her. I mean, defending champ at Liege Bass on Liege and she couldn't even race it. So I'm glad to see her back in the racing and I hope that that form comes around. But I don't know how much we can take away from the Tour de Suisse when if it was anyone else, we would take away, like we would, I think that I wouldn't be so, not critical, but hesitant. But because it's Lizzie, I mean, she's one of the best in the world. So we have to have, yeah, a little bit more of a um, lensed view that doesn't make any sense. No, I understand what you mean. And I think um, we've said it before, Lizzie's such a seasoned rider with the Olympics being such a big goal. She was so close to the win in 2012 on home soil. She has six weeks. Um, This might all work in her favor. It's all part of the plan. And I'm sure Trek Segafredo, um, working really closely with her to sort of be able to to deliver because whilst you know it's great to have athletes going to the Olympics, it does nothing for a trade team. But I know that um, at least in women's cycling, trade teams are quite supportive of riders going for that goal. Men's teams, I don't think, care so much if 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 the men win an Olympic gold as such. Um, but yeah, six weeks away. It's going to be very interesting. Um, Gira Rosa coming up very soon, which will be a good race, I think, for her to to just get more race days in her legs. Yeah, for sure. Before we before we dive into kind of the the Gira Rosa, we got to talk about stage two because it was so exciting. Elise knew she'd lost that GC when Lizzie won the intermediate sprint, which not to like harp on uh Vuelta a Burgos but this is why intermediate sprints are great (laughs) and seconds bonus seconds um but yeah Lizzie won that intermediate sprint and took the general class classification overall before the race had even ended and so Shabby knew and Canyon SRAM rode super aggressively in those final in the final lap of the race, final couple laps with uh, Michaela Harvey and with Elise Shabby. And it came down to a bunch sprint from a breakaway group that went pretty late in the race. And um, Marta Bastianelli took that win from the bunch, which not seen her up and about in quite a while, a couple years um, since she won since she had that like incredible year where she was really strong in the spring and won uh, Flanders and then kind of petered off and we didn't see her the rest of the year. I think she had some injuries um, or illness that year. Um, but yeah, really great work by Canyon Sram. Like they fought for it. They really fought for it to take back the win because they knew the only way was to get Elise off the front. And it was, it just made for really exciting racing. The whole the whole second stage was so exciting. Well, not the whole because Trek Segafredo stuck, took, kept it all together until the intermediate sprint. But once that sprint was over, yeah, it was good. It was a good race. Yeah, they did everything. Canyon, like, to be fair, like, I mean, obviously Trek did too, but um, they had um, Alexis Ryan taking the second I mean, intermediate sprint to mitigate Steigman into second and then taking 
two, which is why she only won by one second. They had Michaela Harvey was doing an amazing job in the Young Riders jersey. Even Shabby herself was attacking. Like she tried everything, even in like the final 10K, she was trying to go just to get that one second back. Like they didn't give up until the very end. So yeah, they've got to be commended for that. But Trek were just too strong. I think um, we were quite critical of Canyon Tram at the start of the season, saying that they they weren't gelling so much, not doing that much in the races. But I have to say that 2021 has been a pretty good year for them in terms of the way that they're racing. It's it's good to see that team racing how I remember them racing when they it sort of became Canyon Tram in 2016. Um, yeah, was very interesting just watching the development. But maybe that's because the team has changed quite a bit. There's a lot of new young blood there. Um, and then you've got some seasoned riders. It's been great to hear how, yeah, Tiffany Cromwell's been leading leading that team quite well as well. So mm-hmm. more to come from Canyon Shram. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I agree. I'm pretty impressed with how they rode Tour de Swiss, but also how they how they've been riding. So I agree. They've proved us wrong. All right. Let's move on and talk a little bit about the Giro Rosa. I never thought I would say this, but I I have a little bit of hope. This is this is the this is what they do. This is what they do. They like tease 30 <laughs> minutes of live coverage and we're like, oh man, is this I read Amy's article. Is this is this turning over a new leaf? Um, so now I have like a minuscule of hope, which I I really, you know, should be smarter than that. But say la vie. Yeah. To be fair, last year, like GCN did have that really great deal with uh, the broadcasters, but the broadcasters just didn't deliver that was the issue if I recall yeah and I felt bad for GCN because they were getting so much hate for that and they have no control like they can't control that there's only that the that's the Burgos only had three kilometers four kilometers of live coverage for the final day they have no control over how much the broadcasters give them or when they turn on the live feed for that for those races and I feel so bad for them every time they get like reamed on the internet for that because that's not their that's not their deal. They're just like trans they're like the middleman basically transferring the races to us and it's mm-hmm. not their fault that that like the every single day last year the the recaps of the races were like really really late. Um but hopefully this year things go better. I mean, we want things to go better because we like we've talked about, we want this race to live up to its reputation. That would be quite a step for them. But let's talk a little bit about the route because this race, although not World Tour, is still the only 10-day stage race on the calendar. And it's quite a race. I mean, we start off with a team time trial. It's the only team time trial that they're going to do this year because of Sweden being canceled. Uh, the second stage is already a mountaintop finish. Third stage is like a jaggedy knife point at the end with a few sprint and mountain classification points th- thrown in there. Fourth, ITT, uphill ITT, which the profile doesn't look like too, it's just like kind of a gradual climb 
to the finish, but we know the Giro. So like that's going to be a brutal ITT. That's going to be super important. Stage five, potentially a sprint breakaway day, pretty flat. Stage six, another lumpy day, but not super significant. Stage seven is a circuit course, which we love, um, which includes a climb every lap. Stage eight, pretty flat. Stage nine, mountaintop. Stage 10, another lumpy, but not so much day. Great day for a breakaway or like a small group finish. So only two mountaintop finishes, but also an uphill time trial. So the Giro delivers yet another climber-friendly course. It's going to be, well, we'll see. I mean, no matter what the what happens in the race or what happens with the course, it's going to be an exciting race because that's the way the women roll. It's just a bummer that we can't see it. So that's why we harp on so much. But the courses look like they're going to be great. I mean, stage two especially looks... Uh, that's like the the race is already going to be underway on stage two it's it's like we're we're diving in head first for that day yeah i'm looking forward to seeing how that um mountain time trial goes as well um it reminded me of a few years ago i think it was the same year they had the zonkalan in the race they also had a similar time trial um which i think anamik like ran away with um, but hopefully, like, with the depth that there is now, um, it will be a bit of a closer race. Like, but, um, yeah, I mean, I just really hope we get to see it as well. I know we're always half on about this, but I hope that they actually come through on this promise. I wanted to be optimistic in that article. <laughs> um, I, yeah. I, um, I know this is a news point, but I, jumping in there, Amy, with what you just said about Anamique, I'm actually sad she's not doing it because it would have been quite fun to just because, like you were saying, Abby, the depth of the field and everything to have her there because Anamique's been good this year and, like, this is, like, her jam, this race. Last year she was in the leader's jersey before she had that awful crash. So we'll never know if if she actually, in fact, would have won the Giro last year. Um, I would have liked to have seen her her racing this race um, particularly seeing it's it's Anna's last year, and I'm assuming Anna is lining up. Okay. Well, there was a provisional start list that was released with all the stages, and she was on it. So I think I remember yeah. her saying sometime earlier in the year that she was that she she mentioned it in an interview or something earlier in the year. Obviously, we won't know the official start list for a couple weeks, but. Um, yeah, one of the one of the news points out of the week was that Annemiek van Vluten will be skipping the Giro and the course for different reasons, but I I disagree. I think it's great that she's not racing. Well, okay. There's like kind of a push and pull here. I think it's great she's not racing because it means that it opens up the race a lot more. She's not the same rider that she was last year or in 2019, so she would have had to fight for this win if she was there. Like it would have been a really epic battle between her and Anna, just like we had at Burgos. And without her, Vanderbregen might walk away from this race on stage two. But I think without her, you know, it kind of means that other riders get to step it up. Other riders from Movistar, I'm really excited to see how Leah Thomas handles kind of a leadership role um, without Anamique there. She's not a pure climber, so I don't know how she's going to do on stage two, but 
she's a climber e enough and an incredible time trialist. So stage four is great for her. So when it comes to Movistar, like, I don't think that they're going to be missing that much without Anami, just given the form that she's had this year, which has not been, you know, top, top. But I also understand from her perspective, like, the reason she's not doing the race is because she crashed last year and it was a week before the world championships and she couldn't race the time trial and she raced the road race with a broken wrist. So given how Mm -hmm. important the Olympics is for her to sit this one out in favor of a training camp where she can control every element and the likelihood of breaking a bone is far, far less, not zero because in 2016, Alex house in the lead up to the Olympics, um, was doing a simulation, a race simulation and got the, he like went to give his musette bag back to the guy who was driving the scooter that was pacing them. And the musette bag got caught on the scooter and he crashed and broke his arm or broke his collarbone or something, broke something. And then he got the call while he was in the hospital bed that he was, he was on the Olympic team. It was devastating. Oh, super devastating. And he didn't make the Olympic team for, for this year. So really like a heartbreaking story for Alex, but beside the point, you can't control every factor in every situation. You're still riding on open roads, right? Unless you were going to do your whole build up on Zwift, which would probably work, but Hey, Matt Heyman won Paris-Roubaix pretty much just from, but I think in terms of like knowing Anamique, uh, this is all part of the plan and she'll be gunning all that time trial win at the Olympics because a time trial is something you can control so much more than a road race, right? Um, plus you have teammates in a road race to consider, whereas a time trial it's just you. Yeah. Um, and Kristen Armstrong, if we look back at her track history, she didn't do a bunch of racing before every she Olympics. She literally retired and, <laughs> twice yeah, yeah. and then came back. She retired twice. One year. And came yeah, back. Before the Olympics. Didn't, didn't race. We didn't see her. But the time trial is such a specific discipline that, yeah, um, I would be hedging bets on on her for for the time trial. It will make it really interesting having her – she's going to race the national championship super soon, and that's going to be her last race before the Olympics, and then she's going to have – basically over a month of buildup until the Olympics where we're not going to see or hear anything from her minus like the scattering of photos on social media. So she's going to come into that race completely as an unknown. We're not going to know how she's riding at all, which is really fascinating. I mean, I have, I do not doubt that she's going to come in absolutely flying because that's kind of what she does. She kind of did the same thing at Rio. I mean, we didn't, see her for a while and then all of a sudden she was just absolutely flying at Rio. So the yeah, the choice the decision to sit out of the Giro totally understandable from my point of view, more controllable, more uh benefit for her. Her choice to sit out of the course um was because of the route change and the date change and um I think she was pretty disappointed in that the ASO decided to make the women's race a day before the men's race starts and also change the route so that they didn't get to do the Mer, Mer, Mer de Breton. This cold is making my pronunciations even worse than usual. 
<laughs> I was just going to say, don't blame the cold. We know you can't pronounce things, but that's I'm okay. only partially blaming the cold. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, that's also, I feel, a totally reasonable uh, decision for her because it is pretty disappointing that they made that decision to change the course and, and change that. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they moved the women's race, but they didn't move the same men's stage some local election Mm -hmm. I mean yeah I mean that was a (coughs) bullshit (laughs) (laughs) oh how's your cold doing there (laughs) right. any more takeaways from the Giro Rosa there will be a more comprehensive stage breakdown on cyclingdips.com as we get closer to the race what a great website but for now just a quick overview of the race I mean it's the usual you know some a lot of climbing, a lot of breakaway days, and can't wait to see some of those domestiques go for the win as we have talked about recently. So that's about it for the Jerry Rosa, I think. And moving on to some more Olympic selection news. We got a bunch this week as we get closer to the race. Marlon Rusa is selected for Switzerland over Elise Shabby just based on the fact that they had one TT spot and one road spot, and Marlon Russo was second at the World Championships last year. I think, you know, that's a tough call for Switzerland to make because Shabby's riding really, really well right now. Marlon Russo rode really, really well last year um, in the road race, road races and in the time trial. So it's not like they're, you know, giving up the road race spot in favor of the time trial Although it is a bummer that we don't get to see Shabby racing the road race because I think she would have been really exciting to watch. Although I was looking at the course yesterday, doing a little bit more of a deep dive into the course, and I don't think it's as climber friendly as we thought it was. It's like one huge climb and then they kind of plateau with a little kicker and then they descend all the way to the finish and it's a long descent and run into the finish and then it's a flat finish. So kind of more sprinter friendly than I think we we have kind of alluded to in the past, which does favor Marlon Russo a little bit more. Not a sprinter, but she can hold on over that climb and she would be able to throw down a pretty vicious attack in those final in the final run into the finish that's flat and she's such a good time trialist. Whereas Shabi, I think she would have been able to be really aggressive on the climb and she would have tried to attack probably. I mean, she's an aggressive rider. She's an exciting rider. We really like her on this podcast, but don't know how effective she would have been, you know, against the Dutch when they're going to be leading out Demi Vollering into that sprint or Voss, depending on. And that's, yeah, exactly why. They're probably not even considering the road race in a sense, if that makes any sense like they'll be looking at it going what what is the percentage what's the likelihood of our rider winning Mm -hmm. the best chance is for one of them sorry that one rider to get in a move and that's basically it that's the only probably way that it's going to happen or to go solo which well unless you have an epic climb like we had at rio that's not really going to happen is it um so that's it's just a game of odds and this is the thing with with selection as well, um, we've seen it with lots of selections that have been happening is riders that haven't necessarily had like 
the greatest 2021 season, but their selection has been based on previous performances and what they've done at previous Olympics or previous championships. Mm-hmm. All right, shall we get into the big news of the week? The speculation yes. that we've been wondering about for months now? Drum roll. <laughs> the U.S. Olympic squad was finally announced yesterday, and it is what we thought, but, you know, yeah, we'll get into it. <laughs> so the U.S. Olympic squad for the road race is Ruth Winder, Corinne Vera, Leah Thomas, and Chloe Digart. For the TT, we got Chloe Digart and Amber Nieben, which is interesting. So let me explain why they're able to do this. Although allocated four spots for the road race and two for the TT, there's no rule that they have to take the same riders who do the road race. Two of them have to do the TT. That's not a rule. Basically what happens at the Olympics is this is the best way. This isn't like actually true, but this is the best way that I have found to describe it. The U S is allocated a certain number of beds for the cyclists that includes BMX, mountain bike, track, and road. So since Chloe Digart is doing the track and the road, she only takes up one track bed, which means that there's one road bed open. That's where Amber Nieben comes in to do the time trial. So that, does that make sense? It does, but sort of, but still like, I'm not saying that the selection makes sense to take Amber Nieben, but like the fact that they're able to, I think that a lot of people were confused about how they're taking five riders for the road events. Um, mm. because up to this point, it's always been that the four riders who of the four riders who do the road race, two of those riders do the time trial, which is not mm. the rules. That's, that's just how the, allocation of beds which is not once again that's not actually true but that's the only way that I can find to describe it because it's like the number of athletes the U.S. is allowed to take for uh the cycling events which is all of the cycling events Mm -hmm. is not the same number of is the same number of athletes that they've like actually qualified the spots but Chloe yeah, Digart yeah. basically doesn't take up a road spot because she's already doing the track. So she kind of, since she crosses disciplines, yeah. it made it possible for the U.S. to be able to bring Amber Neben as well. They basically, so they've thrown Amber in, sorry for lack of better wording, just to increase their odds in a sense, right? Because, no, to be fair, I, Amber is a wonderful person. She's been in the sport a long time, but she she doesn't really race. Um it's kind of like the the Christian Armstrong thing, except Christian has won three gold medals at the Olympics. Um, they must know something about how Amber is performing at the moment because from an outsider's perspective, you, you'd have no idea, right? She is a very time trial-focused athlete and always has been. She's been in the sport a really long time, but it was just a bizarre thing for me to see. I mean, Lauren, if you're looking oh. at this... <laughs> We said yesterday when this came out, it's going to be hard not to be um, like not biased about this selection. But if you're looking at this selection, then the USA Cycling must know something about Chloe Digart, Amber Nieben, and Corinne that we don't know. Because they've picked three riders who have barely raced the last two years. Chloe had a horrific crash at Worlds and has not 
we we have no idea how she's doing. She's been social media silent since December, and we have no idea if she can even ride a bike on the road at this point. So obviously USA Cycling knows something that we don't know. And same with Neben. Like, we haven't seen her for for all of 2021. The last time she raced was at the Worlds. Worlds? Yeah. yeah. And she raced the first stage of the Giro Rosa last year and then and then didn't race the rest. So it's a really interesting selection. Um, I think where maybe our biasm comes in, but also having been professionals, it's really, really hard to look at this selection and and not think of the riders who have been racing consistently on the road and who have been fighting with their racing to get one of these spots. Because, like, for example, Taylor Wiles is an absolutely incredible domestique and has been fighting for this spot for four years. Heck, for more than that. And that's that's a bummer within the process of selecting the riders that she wasn't, that she didn't make it based on results because that's not what cycling is about. I mean, she said it on her Instagram and I recommend anyone who wants to have shed a couple tears, go and read her Instagram about it. But she rides in support of her leaders at every single race. And so she doesn't get a chance to go for results. And it's the same as like, if you're going for a contract, but you're a domestique and you're on a smaller team, it's freaking impossible to get a ride because all they look at is results, but that's not what cycling is because it's a team sport. It's all very confusing. And like the sport of cycling really needs to sort itself out when it comes to that shit. Sorry for my language. But I mean, I think with this, selection Corinne she's an incredible rider she's not had a great couple of years I mean it I think it's been two or two years since she was really consistently up there in the races so given the 2021 she's had which has been brutal um with her dad passing away earlier in the year you kind of can can not pay attention to 2021 because clearly she's not been racing. She had to stay over in the U S for the beginning of the year, which we were, we were curious about when it was the earlier spring races and she wasn't there, but now we know why. And, um, like our hearts absolutely go out to her cause that is horrible. But if you look years past, you know, 2020, 2019, she still wasn't the Corinne who won, tour Flanders in, in 2017, you know, she wasn't that rider. She's not been that rider for a couple of years. I'm okay with that decision because if that comes down to a sprint from a small great breakaway and Corinne can find her form in the next couple of weeks, which not, I would not be surprised if she does. She's over at the Olympic training center training, you know, with the resources that they have there. So I have every hope for Corinne when it comes to this race and that she'll be able to be there for that sprint. If it comes down to a, to a small group sprint, I think that she can be there. She's totally capable of being there with Ruth. That is a no brainer. (laughs) Like the fact that that was even a question, uh, speaks volumes of USA cycling, but I, I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm happy about Leia because she's been, you know, really strong. It'll be interesting to see how she does at the Giro in the lead up for this. Cause we haven't seen a race 
since the the Spanish one days where she she did look good, you know. You can't just unless you're the Dutch, you can't take all winners. We have no idea how Chloe's doing. Like we have no idea. And they could have taken, you know, Chloe and Leia for the time trial and Ruth, uh, Leia, Corinne and and Taylor for the road race, given or unnamed rider, we'll just say, like to try not to be biased. They could have taken three specific road racers for the road race because of the allocated spots, as I was just saying. But it's an interesting, yeah, an interesting situation where, you know, Leia Leia's an incredible time trialer. Her and Amber would have been exactly the same, on the exact same footing. Why they've decided to bring someone in specifically for the time trial who would have probably gotten the exact same result as someone who's doing the road race is kind of beside me. I just, I'm I'm really curious that they, if I look at the team selection, I would have just put Chloe into the time trial and that's it, not put her in the road race, just because of pure risk as well. I mean, they need her in that team pursuit team. She is the engine um, to take anything away from, from the other riders. But we, we know how, how Chloe rides a team pursuit and, um, just knowing like that USA cycling has invested so much in this athlete. I'm sure she'll show up at the Olympics and do a phenomenal job, but I just don't see why she's got that road racing spot when she hasn't raced a road race in, in how long now? Because I think even before the world's last year, she had, oh, no, she hasn't raced a road race since the world championships in Yorkshire. Exactly. So we're going on almost two years. To be fair, she was fourth there. Oh, which was incredible, but still, she didn't have to compete in the track a week later either. Um, I I think, yeah, that that sort of, again, trying not to be biased, the mistake that they made, just put Chloe in the time trial, let her do her thing, and then for the road race, put in the road races. You need strong domestiques in order to support those leaders, which is essentially it's going to be rude. Especially especially given the course. If the course was the same as Rio, it would be different because that is more of a selective course, but this is this course is not super selective. I mean, they need domestiques to chase back on after that climb on the plateau at the top and then to chase back when when they do that descent and run into the finish. They need domestiques for this course. It doesn't make any sense. And I agree 100%. Like that I hadn't even thought of that that she is the backbone of that track team pursuit team. And they have been working to get that gold medal for the last four years since they got silver in Rio. That's a huge deal for USA cycling. So to have that risk of her doing the road race, it doesn't make any sense to me at all. Like no sense. And I think that she wanted to do the road race and that's why she got that spot. But yeah, but we've seen some of these fantastic, we, we discussed this in the last podcast or the one before, We've got some awesome trackies who are doing phenomenal things on the road but have decided to sit out the road events just to focus on the track because of the metal potential there as mm-hmm. well. So interesting, USA Cycling. But uh, you made a big mistake not putting in Taylor Wilde. <laughs> We're not biased at all. But, yeah. No, but you say, I mean, I think everything you said is really fair. Like you say, you know, you're biased, but I mean, I don't have that much skin in this game. So from a vaguely neutral perspective, like I also think 
I'm, I was also questioning why you wouldn't have Taylor Wilde because if I were to point out two of the most prominent US riders in the peloton at the moment, I'd point to Bruce and Taylor. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's really sad for her. And I just, yeah, I agree with, with everything you just said. And yeah, like I say, I'm not, I'm not biased. <laughs> I mean, so. if, if you kind of look at like the, the non-biased reasoning for, for putting Taylor in, her and Ruth are trade team team teammates, and they have a bond that not many teammates have. They are super close, and that is a huge benefit when it comes to racing with a basically composite team. Which I actually spoke with Ruth, and I'll throw that audio in in a second. But it does have it. It is super beneficial to have two people who are so experienced at riding together and know each other so well. Because you're jumping into this team where, yes, you know everyone because you've raced the world champion. You ra- you race one race with them a year, maybe two if they happen to throw the national team into like Ardash or something like that. Like you don't have a ton of experience with these riders, and so to have thrown in Taylor, if even like beside the fact that that this course really needs worker bees to be able to be successful on it the rapport that her and Ruth have, it would have benefited them a lot. And, and they would have had a hand up because they had that that kind of connection between two of the riders. Yeah, well, maybe they should have taken a leaf out of the, the GB team because if you look at the history with the Olympics and Lizzie Dignam, quite often she's taken a teammate from her team mm-hmm. that's been British onto the mm-hmm. team and sometimes two. We look at 2012. I mean, as the leader of that team, she gets a say in who, who's going to go and who's going to work for her, which I think is hugely beneficial in the end because you, if you have just a bunch of people sitting in a room who are looking at, you know, CVs and you're not, I mean, you'd think that these people are watching the races, but I don't know at this point, but <laughs> it's, <laughs> it doesn't, yeah, you, you can't just like... To have a rider who's going to be riding for the win have at least a little bit of a, maybe not a say, but have like two cents to put in about who they think should go, I think is, is important because of course there's like, well, no, there wouldn't be biasm because when it comes to racing the Olympics and it comes to winning the Olympics, any rider who's a professional and who is like, I want to win the Olympics is going to be professional enough to say, these are the people that I need around me to win this race and not have any kind of biasm involved in that decision. Cause they're thinking in terms of an athlete wanting to win an event, not a friend. It friendship completely like it has left the chat at that point. You know, they're not thinking about that. They're thinking about who can get them to the finish line first and we can't speak for Ruth, obviously, nor is she like, according to USA Cycling, well, we don't know if she's the leader. That's just us, you know, speculating because of how she's been riding the last two years. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, I don't know. Anyway, we don't have to like go on and on about it, but it was, you know, a decision that was made by USA Cycling that we had to talk about. <laughs> I think, yeah, as well, when, when you've been an athlete yourself and, I mean, the only ever chance maybe for me to make the Olympic Games would have been in Paris because it's 
I'm assuming not mountainous, um, but that's completely Wait, are you not making a possibility. Hey, I'm almost Belgian, so who knows? <laughs> I mean, with with your Lynn retiring. No, I'm just joking. Um, hey, with Kapeki, she could probably sweep up enough points to take four by herself. So exactly, man. And who is Belgium going to send? No, I'm send just you, Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> But it's just, um, yeah, like you said, Abby, if you read her, Taylor's post, sorry, going back to it, is is something that you work for towards f- for 10 years and you she really had the belief as well. And for me it was like a no-brainer that you would put an athlete like her in the team. So um, it's, yeah, for people listening, it, it is heartbreaking, um, these things. It actually makes me tear up right now. But... <laughs> Are you going to cry? <laughs> yeah. It's the whole boat. There's, there's also yeah. the matter of, like, who actually got the U.S. enough points to field four riders. And Taylor had a role in that. She won the Immaculate Bira stage and had a bunch of other results at the Tour of California and stuff that was in the window where the U.S. got the points to be able to field four. She was a, instrumental in that, like, getting those points so if you kind of look at that too that's another kind of like what like how does this process work but we also know that there's probably going to be arbitration on the mountain bike side the three women Mm. that they selected uh two are auto qualified but the third person they selected well we don't have to get into it but there's like clearly there's a problem within the system of how they make these selections in the U S and we've known that already, you know, we've known that for multiple Olympic cycles, given the amount of arbitrations that happen every single time they announce the Olympic team. Like when they announced the Olympic team for Rio, I think there was three arbitrations for that. So three, there was four spots and three people arbitrated. It's like, which is like, you know, another issue in and of itself. And there's, we don't have to get into that, but I do think that there's cracks in the way that this team is selected. And, you know, it's a really big bummer because there are riders that have proved that they should go, but will not go because of the way that this system is set up. It's basically you can tick every box that they put on their little list for selection, every box, um, and you won't be selected and there'll be athletes who didn't tick boxes and somehow get selected. So this is this is basically in a nutshell the flaw with the system is at the end of the day it's up to the selectors um, and I've seen it time and time again with with Australia, with other countries, this this happened. Um, and, yeah, people do – there have been cases where it's arbitration. Is that it? I'm thinking of the word. Mm-hmm. But it, most of the time it never gets overruled or mm-hmm. anything. Like, No, and it'll be interesting to see what happens with the mountain bike spots um, if that arbitration goes through, although I doubt it. So, Yeah. And on that sad note. <laughs> so before we sign out for the day, let's hear really quick from Ruth. She absolutely earned this spot. She has proved time and time again that she's an incredible bike racer and absolutely thrilled to see her make this team 
like I said, no brainer. So let's hear from Ruth and we will be back next week with more news on the women's women's racing. Maybe we can talk a little bit about the calendar. Today was kind of a packed episode, so we didn't get to talk about the calendar reveal for 2022. We will get into that later. And thank you so much for listening. All right, so I'm here with Ruth Winder today on the day that the U.S. Olympic team has been announced. Ruth, you just got named to the U.S. Olympic team for the road. How are you feeling? I'm pretty excited. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a huge, huge honor and always been such a big goal. Um, and it feels like, well, we have been waiting longer than usual for this <laughs> for this day. Um, and it just, yeah, it's really uh, exciting to be named to the team. And you went to Rio in 2016, but this is a completely different experience coming now. Did you think after Rio that you were going to target another Olympics or is it, or was it kind of a slow build over the years? <laughs> after Rio, I wasn't sure if I was going to keep riding a bike, to be honest. <laughs> um, so it was definitely a slow build again over the years. And after that was for the track and then I switched back to the road and I was started on the road and I really love road racing. And that's, I think, just shown in my, the way I race and the style I race and the results that I've had over the years too. Yeah, for sure. And it's going to be a completely different experience racing it, uh, in the Olympics because you have four teammates that you have raced with before at the world championships and stuff like that. But being the world championships, how different is it going in with kind of like a composite team, if you will? Yeah, I feel like, like you just said, I feel lucky that I do know these girls pretty well. Um, no, Chloe, the least I would say out of all of them, but I still know her because she was on the track team with me uh, back in 2016 too. So I feel like I still know her. Um, but yeah, Leia and Corinne um, are both two riders that I know kind of on and off the bike, I would say fairly well. And I'm just excited to race with them, um, especially particularly Corinne. We've been on the same couple of teams the last world championships together and we've had a lot of learning experiences um and have been teammates in and um trade teams before as well so i'm it does make a big difference kind of knowing knowing the people that you're racing alongside with for sure um it just helps with communication and everything going through but it will feel it does feel different from a normal trade team and the girls that you race with all of the time but i have a lot of confidence in this team that will work really well together do you guys get together for like a training camp or anything before the Olympics or will you kind of just show up and be like, hey guys, can't wait to race with you? <laughs> uh, Corinne's actually in Boulder right now, so I've been able to go with her, train with her a little bit. But I think in terms of like an organized training camp, I, I don't think so, but I think that's going to be more restricted by COVID than anything else. Um, but I'm not entirely sure. I think I have about a week before... The, before I would have to leave for the games and after the Giro Rosa finishes. So there's not even that much time to really get together with everybody from, yeah, today, now, and before nationals. And then it's just racing, racing, racing before the Olympics. Yeah, I guess this Olympics is going to be such a different experience in that you can't go to other events and wander around the Olympic Village and stuff. Does that change your excitement about it or is just going for the, the racing kind of what it's all about? No, it definitely changes a lot for me. I think, um, of course, like the event is the event and you're super focused on that and want to have your best performance regardless of 
of what else is going on. But I think in terms of when you think of the Olympics themselves and the experience that the Olympics gets to be, it's not going to be that. Um, this I don't believe that I'll ever even go to the village. And uh, as far as I'm aware, I'll have to spend a lot of time just in the hotel room, <laughs> just hotel room training, getting tested every day. So there are a lot of amazing things about the Olympics, like being in the village or Heck, I don't know, going to McDonald's in the Olympic Village was like a novelty, you know, and there's just going to other events, stuff like that, like going to the gift store and, I don't know, spending too much money on memorabilia, things like that, you know, like just, I'm, I guess I'm a bit lucky that I have done that before, but for anybody that this is maybe their first Olympics and potentially their only Olympics, I do feel a bit sad for all those people that don't get to have that true Olympic experience because we get to compete in bike races all the time and yet the Olympics is special for all of the reasons that everybody knows but it's also special as an athlete for all those other memories that you make outside of the four to five hours that you're actually competing. Can you explain why the Olympics is special to you? Yeah I think it's because everybody really it's like the everybody knows it right like you talk to anybody in the U.S. and you can say, oh yeah, the Olympics. And they go, the Olympics, that's amazing. But you say, I don't know, the Giro Rosa and people are like, what's that bike race? If they don't know cycling, you know what I mean? Or, you know, even Flanders, some, some just people don't know what that is, but people know what the Olympics is and people can relate to that and be able to say that um, just like bring so much excitement to people that I find really cool. And that's really, yeah. And it's just so few people get to go uh, that it just feels like an incredible achievement. So I know it's kind of a ways out, but have you looked at the course? And if you have, do you have any thoughts on it? Um, yeah, I've looked at the course, not super, super in depth, but I have, I've looked at the course. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it suits quite a lot of the women's peloton right now. Uh, the women's racing has been coming down to groups of like 10 strong riders at the end of the day. Um, but maybe somebody a little bit punchy, but it, it does have a lot of climbing, um, for sure. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's a good course. I like it. Well, congratulations, and thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you. Always nice to chat.